my sermon today is on a Psalm 107. We're not going to do the whole thing. We're going to do the first 31 verses. Uh, you, from the passage that was read earlier, you'll have the idea that uh, uh, what this psalm is about, you got to feel for it. The gist of it is that people were in trouble and they called on God and God delivered them. Indeed, the purpose of the psalm is in the last verse of Psalm 107, verse 43. It says, whoever is wise, anybody wise here? Come on, let's all raise our hand, right? We all, how many want to be brought wise? Okay, there you go. <clears throat> Those, whoever are wise, let them attend to these things. In other words, what this psalm is talking about. Um, let them consider the steadfast love of the Lord. And as I was thinking about that, that word steadfast, and, and there's different synonyms, uh, I'm basically going to title my sermon, The Still There with the hyphen in between. The still hyphen there, love of the Lord. And as you'll see, this psalm is going to talk about some uh, different ways that God would, that people got in trouble. And yet, God's love was still there when they realized they needed him and they called on him. Verse 1 is a call to give thanks to the Lord, right? It's a command, one of the few commands, uh, and it's repeated over and over in this psalm. Why should we give thanks to, the God, to God? It says, for he is good. He's not a bad God. And part of his goodness is evidenced by this steadfast, this still there, love that endures not just during our lives but it's the kind of thing that it, it endures forever for eternity that phrase the steadfast love that endures forever could refer to the aspect of God's loving care in heaven our hope as Christians is that we will be in heaven forever experiencing that love um, environment that, that we look forward to there. But this psalm reminds us of the enduring quality of God's love evidenced in our current lives here on earth. It is there for us during our good times. It's also there for us whether we realize it or not during the times when we're bad. <clears throat> Whether the, nature, whether the nature or the cause of our problems is our own or somebody else's, God's love is a still there kind of love. This psalm is going to give samples of some big problems, some big kinds of problems. But as we go through these examples, it might be that some of them uh, are really a you know, you identify with them, but I believe that it would be good for us to realize that even if you haven't experienced these problems in the big way, I think you'll see that in, in less traumatic situations, God has helped us, and 
command was in verse 2, let the redeemed of the Lord what? Say, so. say so. That's the command. If you've experienced God's redemption, don't hide it in yourselves. Say it. Tell others. Tell a good friend. Um, and I'll come back to that toward the end when we look at some more some applications. <clears throat> some explanation is going to help here. Um, the word redeemed had a family context that is probably new to you and I. Let's see if I can find the page where I copied. Yes, I don't know Hebrew, but uh, my wonderful cell phone and my computer have these cool things, you know, that you can find out. And uh, I have no idea what that little squiggly stuff is up at the top. It's the Hebrew. Uh, but it, it tells me I'm supposed to pronounce it Galal. <laughs> okay. And uh, this is for Brian's sake. It says it's a primitive root. Come on, Mr. Librarian, what's a primitive root? That doesn't, uh, <laughs> <laughs> is that different than a, different than a civilized root? <laughs> it says, a primitive root to redeem, according, and then it's got parentheses, according to the oriental law of kinship. According to the Oriental Law of Kinship, there's another Hebrew word. I guess that sometimes is related to, uh, or translated redeemed. But the one in this psalm is this one, and Strong's Concordance tells us that. It's, it's got a bunch of other stuff, but that's what I wanted to, to really bring out because this word is used in in the nouns or verb forms. Okay, the non-primitive. <laughs> root aspects of that word. Um, for those of you who are familiar with the Old Testament, you'll know that the, there's a kinsman redeemer that's often talked about. And it's like our next of kin. If you're going to go to the hospital because you're really in trouble, they want to know who's your next of kin. Who do we call on uh, uh, in the Philippines? Is who do we call on to pay your bill? Uh, so that you can get out of the hospital because we're not going to let you out until somebody <laughs> pays the bill. Uh, so who's, who's responsible for you? Um, someone is expected in the Old Testament to avenge the murder of a close relative or is in the book of Ruth to use his own money to buy back property that had uh, gone out of the clan. If someone had been sold in slavery, they should be bought back or redeemed. If someone was kidnapped uh, or captured, redemption could mean fighting the enemy to free them like Abraham did in the role of kinsman redeemer when he went and uh, fought and got his uh, uh, relative Lot's family who would normally do this, this redemption or this rescue, all eyes would learn, would look to the next of kin. And if that person uh, couldn't or wouldn't do it, then uh, someone else who had the, re the resources 
whether it's another family member or a clan member or a tribe or a nation, but the idea is somebody needs to help. And before I forget, uh, one thing that I hadn't put in my notes here is that uh, another way to be thinking about this, we're going to be talking about being redeemed, but normally, like in that case of Abraham and Lot, God used people to save a family. And so not only think about these things as, am I needing redemption or have been redeemed or delivered, but maybe God will use you and prompt you to be active in helping somebody else that needs help, needs deliverance. This psalm can be applied to us from all parts of the world. Verse 2 talks about people from, from all directions. And now we understand it even better that yes, we as Christians and as God followers and people who declare God as our Heavenly Father from everywhere in the world, we can call him and see him as our ultimate kinsman redeemer. And when we have experienced his help, his rescue, his redemption, say so. Tell others, don't give it to yourself. What follows are four types of trouble that people find themselves in and experience God's help. There are both spiritual or heart level aspects to each of these four, but there's also um, everyday flesh and blood, you know, rubber meets the road kind of situations where people are in trouble. I believe that we may experience one or several of these kinds um, of, that are examples that are given, or maybe you don't identify with any of them yet. It's okay. The psalm is not about trying to tell you what kind of sins are. The whole point of this psalm is to say, if you have experienced some kind of redemption, tell others. That's going to be repeated over and over. Um, these, these examples follow a pattern. In each one, first, a type of problem is going to be described. And then the next, the person calls to God for help. And then God's redemptive action is described. And then finally, the psalmist may add some suggestions uh, about what, what kind of responses you could do. I'm praying that God will use our meditation on these examples of people being redeemed from their distresses to help us understand the steady, enduring, still there nature of God's love in our own difficult situations, and then tell somebody. Example one is in, starts in verses four and five, and I'm titling this one, Delivery from Deep Level Lostness. The surface thing is talking about people wandering. And the words describe not only a geographical lostness or wandering, like the Jews did in the wilderness or when they finally were able to come back toward uh, Jerusalem from being in captivity, at least some of them from Babylon. 
But the spiritual and emotional lostness, I think, is also evidenced in that phrase that says, their soul fainted within them. It's not just, oh, where am I? It's like, like, like who am I? Where do I belong? Really, I just, there's something that, that I need that's more than right here. Their desire for a place to live in is more than for a house or apartment or a city. It's a soul need, just like their hunger and thirst includes soul-level hungers and soul-level thirsts. What did they do when they were in this situation? Verse 6 says, they cried to the Lord in their distress. In their distress. They didn't think, I have to get better before I can call on God. Right in the midst of when they understood, like the prodigal son, it says when he came to his senses, he decided I should go back to my father. <clears throat> and how did God respond? Verse 7 talks about God's response. And notice in that verse as you read it that this redemption or this delivery included the word leading. He led them. And I noticed that it was by a straight way. Sometimes the way God delivers us from various kinds of, of lostness or needs is through reminders of what the straight way is when we've wandered and we don't know exactly the direction that we ought to go. When we've left the path of trust or love or hope. Eventually it says they reached a city to dwell in. Maybe you've experienced this redemption in a temporal way, like literally getting an apartment when the market seemed hopeless. Um, uh, when Jean and I were newly married, we, we moved in, I think it was July, from Lincoln to Omaha, Nebraska, and most teaching jobs are all full by July. But God provided for our need in that Gene got a job in Council Plus, which was right across the river from Omaha, which actually turned out to be closer than most of the schools in, in Omaha side of the Missouri River. So that would be a little example of we had a need, where can Gene find a job? And God provided it in a special way for us. <clears throat> Or maybe it is in a spiritual way where you came to see and feel your lostness and God pointed you from the emptiness of this world and to the goodness, the rightness of the dwelling to come. Verses 8 and 9 give us some words to express our thanks to God. Let me read verses 8 and 9. Let, I'm going to personalize when I do this. Let us thank the Lord for his steadfast love, for his wondrous works to us, children of men. For he satisfies our longing soul and our hungry soul he fills with good things.
The second example, starting in verse 10, I've, did, I've uh, called the delivery from captivity of rebels against God himself. Verse 10 speaks of prisoners. That's their problem, they're prisoners. But verses 11 and 12, if you scan those, you'll realize that they are in prison at God's hand. Why? Because they rebelled against his word and against his counsel. His love didn't go away when they rebelled. It was still their love. Indeed, it was God himself in his love who brought them down where, quote, none could help. They couldn't free themselves, nor could others. I think as we're going to be wise as we look at the contents of this psalm, maybe let's be wise on our part as we read this to allow us to learn from this example that it might be perhaps that our own downfalls are caused or a result of our own choices to reject the messages that we had from God in our inbox. Verse 13 says these men and women were also good examples to us. Why? Because they too cried to God out of their captivity. And he delivered them and or redeemed them. In this case, verse 14 says that he brought them out. He broke the bonds that held them. The bonds don't have to be just the physical bonds of iron and stuff that are here, but the psalmist is using these strong, some of the strongest concepts of what could hold you to represent any kind of bonds that a human is experiencing and God can deal with that. I don't know what images or memories were in the mind of the psalmist. I know it can happen literally, as when Lot's family was rescued literally by the hand of Abraham and later by angels in a supernatural way. <clears throat> or maybe it can happen literally when a prisoner like Daniel in the lion's den uh, was um, protected by God and then pulled out of that prison situation. Or modern times when a prisoner is pardoned by a sitting president and he God uses a, a president to literally get a prison out of his bondage. But I have also witnessed a man in federal prison when we were in a ministry down in uh, Pontiac, Illinois, who was not pardoned, who remained in prison physically, but experienced a delivery, a redemption, you might say, from a demonic oppression. It was a beautiful and emotional thing to see this man who, even though he was still inside the prison walls, was released from a bondage that he had been carrying 
the next day in our chapel service, he was sitting next to me and he said, I haven't been able to sing Christian songs for like seven or ten years. And he was freed. Beautiful thing. It was a spiritual thing, but he was still within the cement walls and the barbed wire. I believe many of us Christians have experienced this in one way or another. <clears throat> many areas where we were in trouble resulting from our own rebelliousness against God's word. God's love was still there when we were helpless and we cried to him. In the example, um, before we go on to the next example, I thought it might be good to just go into this, because this can be an elephant in the room type of a thing, where people say, well, I was in trouble, and I called on God, and I wasn't delivered. So this psalm does not deal with that, but I think it's, it's, a, it's something that many of us Christians have tried to deal with. So I'd like to just say a few words about that. Uh, in that example above, the prisoner was delivered from an evil spirit, but not from his prison sentences. Many, if not all of us, have had addictions of one kind or another, and we cried to God for help, and then we cried to God for help again, and again, and again. And uh, we were thinking, you know, how come, where's our Redeemer, where's our Deliverer, oh God? Occasionally, God does answer supernaturally, and the addiction is just gone, but not always, and not always completely. Uh, I can think of a friend in the Philippines who told me that he had had a very foul mouth, just really bad. And when he became a Christian, he told me, in an instant, his language changed. He didn't have to work on it. It just changed, period. And then he said, but you know, I had a smoking problem, and that didn't go away. <laughs> and I thought, that's kind of cool, actually, to realize that God is more concerned about the cleansing of his heart that's coming out his tongue than, than the smoke that's going in. I was reminded of Jesus talking about it's not what goes into a man that it defiles him. It's what comes out of a man that defiles him. Uh, sometimes an addiction is solved when we eventually are separated from the source of the problem. Um, I have um, experienced that myself. Whether it's by normal means or some kind of legal means. And some of us have called on God in despair only to have him open our eyes to a deeper problem that needs to be dealt with. I've shared in this church once before that time when I was having my fourth surgery on my right eye and I was saying, God, we've been praying for you and you haven't healed and you haven't healed and you haven't healed. And uh, um, I knew that I was probably going to be blind in my right eye the rest of my life because they were putting the oil in that. Uh, to solve the problem. And uh, in, in a time of meditation right there in the chair, 
God help me see the time when Paul also said, take this thorn in the flesh away, and God said, my grace is sufficient. And it took that problem with my eye for God to get at my soul level problem, which is really that I wanted God's grace plus. I wanted God's grace plus healing. I wanted God's grace plus a nice life. And to realize how selfish and self-centered I was. This psalm is not like Job's friends who debated about the cause of this problem. Rather, it's simply a call to those who have experienced various kinds of redemptions after calling on God to share it. Let me read verses 15 and 16 and personalize them also. Let us thank the Lord for his steadfast love, for his wondrous works to us children of men. For he shatters the door, doors of bronze and cuts into our waters of iron. Example three, I call a delivery from the results of foolish, sinful lives. Note that some versions uh, don't say, uh, some versions read foolish, rebellious lives in these verses, but ESV has foolish, sinful, and uh, you know, sin and rebellion against God are, are connected, obviously. But I think there's a contrast between this example and the previous one, which declares it's because they were rebelling against God's word and his counsel. In verses 17 and 18, the problems of people in this example may not be caused by a rebellion against God's teaching. They are, quote, fools through their sinful ways. Maybe they hadn't even been taught God's ways, never been to the temple, never heard a prophet. Or in our situation, maybe they were never brought to church or memorized the teachings from the Bible. Nevertheless, sin causes many kinds of problems, whether it is physical afflictions, or food disorders, or near-fatal situations as described generically in these verses. Verse 19, the important human response is the same for them. They cried to the Lord in their trouble, and he delivered them. How did he do it in this case? It says he sent his word, and through it brought healing and delivery from destruction. God uses Christian friends, maybe you, and maybe professional counselors, or the hearing of biblical teaching to inject truth in, into where it is needed. His word opens our eyes to the lies we hear about ourselves or others or God. His word sets us free from false guilt, and he guides us to friends that lead us in non-destructive 
kinds of paths. Maybe one of my own deliverances fits here. Uh, as some of you probably know, I'm a workaholic and perfectionist in some things at least. And at one point in my career in the Philippines, um, some, a series of circumstances caused me to be completely and absolutely overwhelmed emotionally. And God helped me through other people. God helped me get back on track by using both the love of my teammates that, that cared for me and told me to take a couple weeks of sick leave and try to recoup. But he also used me, uh, uh, he used a Christian counselor who helped me understand myself better and encouraged me to tell myself the truth in situations that would pull me down. Let me read verses 21 and 22, verse 1. Let us thank the Lord for his steadfast love, for his wondrous works to us, children of men. And let us offer sacrifices of thanksgiving and tell of his deeds and songs of joy. I appreciate the songs you chose, Connor, for today. They're so fitting. They bring us to the joy of knowing that God cares for us, not only in his physical ways, but for sure, eternally. The fourth example I call delivery from the results of pride. This example is more complex and, and uh, got some different ideas in, in studying for this sermon. I'm going to share the perspective that makes the most sense to me and I think it's perhaps the most uh, easy for us to identify with. Verse 23 introduces these people as sea merchants. And verse 24 says that they see God's great power in the big waves that impact their journey. Interestingly enough, again, we see that it is God who causes these waves, who causes this crisis in such a way that now they see his power. Why did they need to see his power? We are not told. And that's where I think there might be a clue in the, the ESV translation, which, uh, let's see, 24. 26. They mounted up to heaven. They went down to the depths. Their courage melted away in their evil plight. Being a merchant is not evil. That cannot be the evil plight. And so I think it might be that even though business by itself is not wrong or evil, there can be many temptations for a businessman to engage in wrong practices. As merchants, they're worldly wise, they're street smart, they know the markets, and they are important people in their world. Verse 27, we see that God uses a business-related crisis to bring them to their, quote, 
wit's end. Not only might they lose their investment in this ship, they might even lose their own lives. These people are also good examples for us as God's children. If he has gifted us with abilities and skills or family background that allow us to be businesswomen, businessmen and women, or placed us in other leadership roles. When various crises come, we're humbled, brought to our wit's end, but our humility allows us to recognize and to admit any kind of evil or wrong parts of our plans or of our activities. We cry out to the Lord in our distress and he helps us like in the psalm. Verses 29 and 30, God's redemption in this case involved calming a storm, ending the crisis in some way. But perhaps more importantly, it says that God brought them to their, quote, desired haven. Their heavenly kinsman redeemer recognized some sinful thing that needed correction in their life. Something that didn't fit in the heavenly path that they were on. Or maybe they were straying into a love of this world's possessions to the hurt of their relationship to him. As God's children, we know deep inside, whatever it is that is wrong, even though we don't want to admit it. And so, what if it takes a crisis for us to call on God good? We're glad for the crisis and for the chance to get going again afterwards with renewed cleansing of conscience as we continue our heavenly journey. I think this type of redemption or deliverance from impure desires can happen often in a Christian's life. The crisis doesn't have to be a big storm like in this psalm. It can be small, but if you're like me, you, can, you know that any correcting or purifying of wrong desires involves pain to our egos. Verse 31, let me personalize that. Let us thank the Lord for his steadfast, his still there love and for his wondrous works to us children of men. I have three applications that I'd like to discuss. The rest of the psalm continues with some corporate responses in this same theme of God's redemption, but we'll stop here. How can we apply this? Here are three suggestions. First, were you redeemed? Redelivered. When God, <clears throat> when God answered your prayer and delivered you from some type of a crisis, did it happen? If so, tell somebody. Say so. It doesn't have to be in a church. Just tell a friend. Wherever God puts you in a situation. No need for lots of details. Keep it simple. I was in such and such a need of trouble, 
I didn't know what to do, but was praying to God for help. God helped me in such and such a way. His love for me was still there all the way through the problem. The second application. What if you are in a situation and you feel like I'm not redeemed from this particular problem? I have called on God and I haven't been delivered. My advice is remain in the faith. Keep eternity in view. Last week we were in our son's church and uh, the church he attends in, in uh, uh, Colorado, Fort Collins. And they were having a baptismal service there. And part of the tradition they have, I was trying to figure out what's going on. Because during the sermon, behind the, the preacher on the wall, I could see two. There's a word, uh, um, until the end, and then right below that was written forevermore. And so during the sermon, I'm trying to figure out, what in the world are those words? What do they have to do? So after the sermon, they had a baptism. And uh, it was kind of cool, because uh, two dads were baptizing their teenage girls. And so I found out what those words were for. They came out, out of the baptism, and uh, the, the the father, I, I can't remember the phrase, but I think the father was saying to, this, to the daughter there in the water, uh, go forth, like walking, uh, walk with Christ, something like that. Go forth walking with Christ. And then the tradition is one half of the congregation, so we're talking about a couple hundred people, suddenly shouted that top phrase, until the end. And then the other half of the congregation shouted it in response, forevermore. And my son said, yeah, boy, it's, I, they've been doing that since I've been here, and it, it still makes me emotional. And it was kind of cool, because the one who was just baptized uh, is, is starting this journey. And it's like all of the congregation who have, have been on this journey for a while, know there's going to be distresses. There's going to be crises. And so their advice is keep walking. Walk with the Lord until the end forevermore. Aurelius Augustine, in his book, The City of God, deals with the issue of Christian women who were raped and ravaged during the fall of Rome. And the non-Christians would be saying, so where's their God? You know? And I, I like the approach that he has. Uh, two things that he said, you know, so did God abandon them? And essentially his response is, no. God did not abandon them. They were the ones who abandoned this world in order to continue in their life with God, even if it meant suffering and physical death. Several times in this part of his book, he uses a phrase that is translated into English, God did these things, quote, according to the secret counsels of God. 
There are many things, many of God's ways that we know, but there are also ones that he does not choose to reveal to us. My third and last application is, if you're not a Christian already, become one. The four examples of redemption in the psalm are mostly related to situations in our earthly life. They are great, and they should be shared. The good news about Jesus is that redemption or delivery is available on a forever, on a heavenly scale also. The angel said to Joseph about this son who was to be born to Mary in Matthew 1.21. You, Joseph, shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sin. Not just from their distressful situations in life. This infant would somehow save people from the eternal effect of their sin. When he was close to his day of crucifixion, Jesus himself said he would be, quote, I'll give, it, it will give his life as a ransom for many. Matthew 20, 28. By dying on the cross as a criminal, Jesus paid for sin. He redeemed us from our captivity and sin. You and I weren't there at the crucifixion. And even if we were there in the crowd watching, we wouldn't have understood what was happening. But when he rose from the grave, as he predicted, his followers started to understand the bigness of what he had been telling them. His disciple John records for us how earlier a religious leader had been talking to him and in John 3.16, such a famous verse, Jesus says, God loved the world so much, he gave his only son, that whoever believes or trusts in him will not perish but have eternal life. Christ died for sin, big stuff, cosmos level rescue. You can and should put your trust in Jesus for paying for your sin. God has provided his eternal help for your sin problem, my sin problem. He did it because his goodness included a steadfast, still there for you and me, love. Our part is to humble ourselves, to call on him as our loving Lord, and by faith to receive this rescue. Just do it. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for the many kinds of uh, situations that you have delivered people from their problems when they called on you. And I especially thank you for the way you use your word to bring us back into the right path. The ways that are helping us to live lives that are a delight to you. You are a delight to us, O oh God. I thank you especially for eternal salvation that you've offered through Jesus Christ. In Christ's name I pray. Amen.